Hello out there. I'm Whitney. And I'm Will. And you're listening to Yelling About Superheroes. This is episode 11, Thor Ragnarok Part 2. Whitney and I are basically going to continue our discussion from last episode about Thor Ragnarok and why we love it. This episode was recorded a little bit after the first one and does contain some discussion of Avengers Infinity War as well as Ragnarok, and you can expect spoilers for both movies to some degree in here. Enjoy! So hi again, folks. So last week you heard part one of the Ragnarok. Talk. This is going to be part two, and full disclosure, we're recording this about two weeks later, so this might be a bit more disjointed ramblings on Thor Ragnarok. But let's not set the bar too low right off the bat. <laughs> okay, fair point, fair point. Oh, do we want to do the things we're reading first? Yeah, so... A little while ago, I had the idea to sometimes do a little feature where we discuss the superhero stories and superhero-related things that we've been reading and or watching and whatnot. And we've been doing quite a lot of that lately, not least because it's research and stuff. Yeah, turns out the Madison Library has a ton of comic books. Oh yeah, they are the real MVPs here, especially on DC stuff because DC at the moment does not have anywhere near the back catalog access that Marvel Unlimited affords. Yeah. We both have Marvel Unlimited subscriptions now, so we can take care of those that way. Yeah, definitely. I'm hoping DC Universe has a similar thing, but at uh, at this point that we're recording this, that hasn't been announced any further. Yeah. So anyway, yes, yeah. Let's... Outside of the stuff that we're doing specifically for episodes we're doing later, let's see. I have been picking back up on my overall read through of the Marvel universe as a whole. And Earth um, six one six, right? Yeah. Just to be clear. I mean, okay. it's basically just following all of Marvel's mainline titles through. This is something I started a long time ago, and I've taken several hiatuses of varying lengths on. Um, Mm -hmm. But starting back around 2000 with Avengers Disassembled, I've been following, obviously not every book because that would be insane, (laughs) Um, but most of the big name books, the big Avengers books, the big events, the highlights in solo series and stuff. And at this point, I recently finished AVX, that's Avengers vs. X-Men, an event from 2012, which is okay. It has some interesting stuff and some mediocre stuff. Yeah, you were telling me about that, weren't you? Yeah. Like the fact that the villains weren't really popping up at all during this event. And I was like, I bet they're just all gathered around the TV, watching the carnage, just eating popcorn. I bet that's what's happening. Yeah, I just recently wrapped up that event and I'm going to be starting to read through Marvel Now stuff. The 2012 Marvel Now, not the 2016 version. Oh, God. Let me get this straight. Is that a renumbering event or like a big other big thing? And did they give the same name to two different resets or renumberings or events or whatever really yeah well i mean it wasn't exactly a event as much as just a rebranding of a bunch of marvel books oh under a particular umbrella which marvel has done a lot of those yeah so there was haven't they yeah there was some renumbering and there was some new creative teams and stuff just generally indicating a bunch of good starting points for various books and, okay. I don't know, mostly a sales initiative, but an easy gotcha. way to keep track of what books are important at a particular time. Okay. At least that important as far as the sort of universe makes sense. goes. Yeah. 
Anyway, so you're doing that. We've yeah. both been reading through Gail Simone's Birds of Prey run, which is really, really good. I'm behind on it, comparatively speaking. Like, Will read them first, and I've been, like, working my way through after. Yeah, we've only gotten through part of it. Um, yeah. There's a few more trades out there. Oh, right. Yeah, you were going to wait to order some from the library. Yeah. yeah. And after that, we'll probably read her Secret Six and Batgirl because... Right. Basically, yeah. I have decided that Gail Simone is the best. Well, yeah, she is. She's she one of many is. bests. Hi, Gail, if you're listening to this. Gail is not listening no, to this. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just, you know, wishful thinking. Um, so there's that. I'm looking at starting some of the Green Lantern stuff that began with Jeff Johns's run. Right, yeah. Basically, I love Marvel's cosmic stuff, and I want to get a better grasp of how DC does similar things. That makes sense. Um, so I'm looking to pick up the various Green Lantern stuff through, like, you know, Sinestro Corps, War, and Blackest Night and stuff, as well as also trying to get in on the Teen Titans a little bit. Right, yeah. I read one of the very first volume of the new Teen Titans by Marv Wolfman, I think. <laughs> Seriously? Is that his name? Marv Wolfman? That sounds I like a Jake Peralta alias. That's great. I might be mixing up some things, but... <laughs> Yeah, that was way back when they were basically establishing the Teen Titans as they exist now. Way oh, right, back that was a really old one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Which is interesting because I don't usually read old comics, but now Yeah, it's... I've made you read a lot of old comics for this podcast, I feel like. First OG Secret Empire, and now I, then I strongly suggest that you should pick up the Teen Titans omnibus. And yeah, this seems yeah, to be higher yeah. now that I think about it. Well, I'm also going to get like Jeff Johns's omnibus for that as well and just catch up more on the modern Teen Titans. Just because, you know, I've always liked the show's for them, Young Justice and Teen Titans, so interested mm-hmm. in seeing how the comics go too. Yeah, that should be fun. Yeah, a yeah. lot of Jeff Johns DC stuff. Yeah, there's a few various runs that I'd like to read at some point, but a lot of them are by Johns just because I know he's done a lot of the major universe building books. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so that'll be interesting. So, yeah, that's a little microcosm of the stuff yeah. we're reading right now. Yeah, and in seemingly non-superhero-related stuff, I ordered a used copy of this book on Canadian content a while ago, and I'm still like working my way through it because it's kind of dense. But we're researching an episode to do at some point on Captain Canuck, so I really want to sort of understand the political economic landscape in which Captain Canuck was popping up throughout the... I guess, latter half of the 20th century and into the 21st, culminating in chapter houses, I guess, buyout of the Captain Connect property in 2015. So, yeah, that's really fun. I am very clearly a well-adjusted person who has a great social life. Anyway, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And also Birds of Prey. Although that's for a specific episode coming up. Yeah, so I have a reason to be reading this Rather niche book, but otherwise. Oh, and we got, um, we're recording the day after free comic book day, so we've been reading through a few of the free comic books we got for that. One of them, some Avengers number one, had an excerpt of Ta-Nehisi Coates's Captain America in it, and I thought it was really good. I'm really excited to check out those books. Yeah. Oh, and we also so, got one on The Tick, so The Tick will be popping up in an episode fairly soon. So yeah, that's pretty much it, I think. Yeah, that's, you know, what we've been reading outside of the stuff we're prepping for podcast episodes. Although, I'm sure some of that will sooner or later work its way yeah, into Yeah, I've been angling for us to do a Gail Simone Birds of Prey-specific episode for a while. That will probably happen in some form at some point. We'll see. Yeah, there's a lot of different topics we could tackle about that. Yeah, totally. So, anyway, that's enough of the wind-up. <laughs> Definitely. So... 
we left off, if I'm remembering correctly, with Thor jumping out the window of Hulk's bedroom on Sakaar. Okay, we're gonna try to not just summarize the movie, because presumably, at least most of y'all would have seen it by this point. So. If you haven't seen it, stop listening, because there's a ton of full of spoilers, and go see it, because it's great. Amazing. It's wonderful. It might... It might actually be my favorite MCU movie other than Winter Soldier. I don't know. It's in my top three, at least. Yeah, for sure. I don't yeah. even know if I could pick a top three of MCU movies. But anyway. Yeah, and this is where we have Thor pursuing the Quinjet, trying to get home. Yeah, because um, miraculously, the Quinjet has survived for two years on trash heaps of car. I'm surprised nobody tried to loot it for parts or anything like that. I guess... Okay, one thing that strikes me about the difference between Sakaar and Jakku, this is really, going to be a really weird comparison, but bear with me here. It was like the scavengers... No, plans, it makes some sense. The scavengers we saw on Sakaar when Thor first crashed there were much more interested in human scraps, whereas you see a lot of, like, all the scavengers on Jakku are more focused on, like, ship parts. It's a really interesting bit of world building. I can imagine the Jakku scavengers going absolutely ape if they saw all the trash on Sakaar, because I bet there's like so much useful stuff in there for like salvaging and shipbuilding and yada, yada, da. But the scavengers on Sakaar weren't interested in that at all. And I think that's, I don't know, that strikes me as being like an undernoticed yet important part of the world building. It kind of, for me, it highlights just how much of this world's society is bound up in, I don't know, sort of the incorporation of trash into the planetary identity or whatever, as in that intro thing Thor has to go through. To an extent. And then also how much, like, the gladiator thing is hyped up. Like, people are the most valuable commodity on this planet, almost. You know what I mean? It's partly that. It it might partly just because Sakaar has so much more junk than Jakku did, so that... Any particular piece of trash isn't necessarily as valuable because there's literal the, mountains the, of it. With that said, though, the Quinjet, I would imagine, would still be pretty valuable. So possibly, I if there were, like defense systems that, that Thor got on the I think easily, there's so. a pretty good chance that people didn't want to mess with the Hulk's ship. That's true. That's a very good point. Maybe somebody tried, but Hulk was like, "Nope," and just punched them through a wall or something. I don't know. Yeah. That's I'm, kind of funny to imagine. Might have been the Grandmaster set up something about it because the Hulk didn't seem too fussed about breaking it when he went after Thor in it, which is basically what happens next. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, so we yeah. got a little bit of Thor trying to unlock the Quinjet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and the callback funny. to Point Break from Avengers. Oh my god, that was so good. Yeah. I liked how this scene had a bunch of references to the old Avengers movies. Yeah, it tied in really well with... 2012 Avengers and Age of Ultron as well. And okay, I believed the Bruce and Natasha ship a lot more when Hulk was looking at the video message from Natasha. That moment alone, like Hulk's face when he was reacting to that message, I believed that ship in that moment more than I ever did in Age of Ultron. Just saying. I'm still really salty about that. I will be salty about that forever and a day. It's a good scene. Yeah. It's like he genuinely looks really heartbroken almost. He's just like, oh my god. Yeah. That's right. I forgot See, about this thing. It's weird to say something like, yeah, the Hulk has range, but seeing the Hulk's emotional <laughs> range through this movie is actually kind of fascinating. It's so cool, yeah. Didn't we say something 
in the Infinity War episode about how not having Hulk come out in that movie really gives Mark Ruffalo a chance to, you know, exercise his acting chops or whatever. I would say that Mark Ruffalo gets plenty of poignant moments in just with the mocap and just like with whatever. That man manages to do a lot with CGI. That is truly impressive to me. Oh yeah, the Hulk is really amazingly done, like just from a technical perspective. I'm actually that CGI butt though. Sorry, I had to make a comment about that. I know we, we already talked about that in the last episode, I think. But... Yeah, we definitely did. I would not <laughs> have let that go. Nope, neither would I. Oh so... freezing, freezing, sorry. This this is a family friendly podcast. Anyways. Okay, so there is something I'm interested in is both how the Hulk feels about Natasha and overall how Banner and Hulk's feelings and emotional state are similar and different. Yeah, they're definitely intertwined. That's kind of the whole like physiological basis of the transformation. It is, it is. But at the same time, I wonder if the Hulk has the same affection for... He must have like some degree of the same affection for Natasha, because otherwise the whole lullaby thing in Age of Ultron wouldn't work. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I, I wouldn't even necessarily say it's affection so much as trust. Because I feel like in order for the lullaby thing to have worked, there has to have been some amount of, I don't know, almost conditioning involved, like some sort of Pavlovian something or another. I don't know. Or, or it, feel, it feels more like animal training than anything. And from what I understand of like, you know, just dog training and stuff, you have to, there's a certain amount of trust that needs to be built up for stuff like that and that's what i I see see more in the lullaby honestly and i wonder like how much does banner trusting natasha affect how much the hulk trusts natasha if not consciously then subconsciously because we've seen that the hulk himself hates banner on some level but at the same time they're the same person so i guess that's really just the whole psychological issues of the hulk as a whole Mm mm-hmm uh, but it's interesting, and I hope we see more of that in Adventures 4 and stuff. Yeah, I was surprised how much time they had for that in Infinity War. They did a decent job teasing, sort of exploring that weird like psychological tangle, even with the limited space they had. That was cool. Yeah, and we have, I guess, more discussion of that in the Infinity War episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we get this extended transforming back sequence mm-hmm. where the Hulk transforms into Banner and is actively resisting that transformation. Right, yeah. I hadn't, like, realized that, but you're totally right. Yeah, like, the Hulk is hitting himself in the face and stuff, trying to keep himself from transforming back. Oh, yes, you're so right. Wow. Anyway. And then he transforms back into Banner, who is like, whoa, did we, did we, did we save Sokovia? And so, yeah, like, to he has him, some sort of, like, weird, almost amnesia Yeah, thing. he doesn't remember what the Hulk has been doing, at least not directly. Yeah, not immediately. Which, I think some of it does come back to him later, somewhat, maybe. I guess. It's interesting, though, to think that Bruce Banner basically goes from being thrown into a pit by Natasha to coming back to his senses on the Quinjet on Sakaar, going through the crisis there, Jeez. and then hulking out later in the movie on Asgard. Oh my god, and then right. he doesn't, And then he doesn't come back to his senses again until Infinity War, where he's thrown into the Sanctum Sanctorum. So clearly the answer to getting him to hulk out or change back is to throw him into a bunch of very hard things. 
No, but I hadn't realized before. It's so weird to think that, yes, the last time Bruce was Bruce was when he and Natasha were in Ultron Sanctum or whatever, and when she threw him into the pit. That was the last time that he was Bruce and not the Hulk. He's been the Hulk since then. Oh my God. Yeah, that being the Hulk for that long would really mess with someone, I think. Yeah, I mean, he talks about it later. He's like, usually it's just I've got one hand on the wheel, but now the Hulk locked me in the trunk and stole the keys. Oh my God, yeah. As he's freaking out. You really feel bad for the guy. Yeah. God, now I'm curious about the difference in Hulk's brain structure versus Bruce's, maybe? And particularly in the sense of where are Hulk's memories stored as opposed to Banner's? And would there be a way for Banner to more completely access Hulk's memories without actually having to Hulk out? Is there how, must how do his neural pathways work? I don't understand it, but I want to. I mean, there must be some capacity for it because the Banner himself never sees Thanos in the beginning of Infinity War, but the Hulk gets bifrosted out and right, then yes. Banner crashes into the Sanctum, but Bruce still knows that Thanos is coming. I mean, that's not exactly the most detailed memory or message. Yeah, but he's able to give the Avengers when he lands some information on it. Yeah. It might just be because he was the Hulk for a shorter span of time. That's possible. Yeah, but anyway, getting back to the movie we're actually talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. But everything is connected. That's the whole point of That's the MCU. That's true. That is true. Yeah, so I want to say I really like the interaction that we just get between Thor and Banner in this, where Thor is trying to get Banner to stop panicking. It's <laughs> just... He just keeps doing the sun's going down, sun's getting low thing. <laughs> like, dude, that didn't work for you in the arena. Why do you think that'll work now? And Bruce is like, stop saying that. <laughs> it's, oh man. I, it's mean, really I mean, God love Thor. He's trying. He really is trying. And you know, this, this movie is, I think, similar to The Winter Soldier, although obviously... Also fundamentally different from it. In Extremely that, tonally different, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but in that we get a lot of interaction between only two Avengers characters. That's... Yeah, you're right about that. Because we see various relationships between different Avengers get built up in the main Avengers movies and stuff. Like we see Tony interacting with Cap uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. And similar things, but it's interesting to kind of take Bruce and Thor's relationship, which really the biggest things I can think of where they actually interact is in the first movie. When Hulk punches Thor. Yeah, they have their fight in the helicarrier and then the whole bit on the back of the thing where Hulk punches Thor out of frame. That's so good. Yeah, and then in Age of Ultron, there's a little bit of interaction, but not a ton. Yeah, well, we're so like, Natasha is trying to console Bruce or whatever, and... Or is like, and the halls of the dead are filled with the screams of the vic- of his victims. And Natasha's like, dude! And Thor really just... Walks messes, it back. Walks it back so hard. Like, like Louise and Amman just back it up. Just Spring ankles and gout. <laughs> yeah, that was it. I was trying to remember what exactly he said. I knew there was gout involved. But yeah, yeah no, so like, it was yeah. it's interesting to see how that odd couple gets developed when they're getting some alone time, so to speak. (laughs) Phrasing. Anyways. It's some great comedic timing. Oh, God, definitely. Yeah. They play off each other so well. 
we're not going to think about the Hulk. And then boom, and it's a Green Hulk parade. Powder. Yes. That has to have been a weird experience for Bruce because as far as Bruce was concerned, he was fresh off Earth where the news media there was like chewing him out for wrecking stuff in like South Africa, I think. Yep. Was where that one scene. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that has to be really weird to go from that to, as far as he's concerned, like pretty much immediately seeing all these people on this trash planet wearing Hulk masks and throwing like, green powder everywhere and stuff and like celebrating this guy. That has got to be such emotional whiplash for him. It's going to be nice, though, for the Hulk to not be hated and feared for once. I mean, yeah, yeah. And then, oh my god, and then it's sort of another heel turn in Infinity War when the Ben and Jerry's flavor is named after him. Yep. Oh, man. I really want those Ben and Jerry's flavors now. I think so many people do. All right, so Thor and Bruce have that great just sequence and they meet up with Valkyrie. Mm, yes, Valkyrie. Sorry, I'm just going to be over here crushing on her till the end of time. And Valkyrie, I don't remember how exactly that goes, but she convinces them to come with her. And she has yeah. no idea who Bruce is, and Bruce is like... And they're just, they just keep going like, I feel like I know you. Yeah, yeah. Which is the look on Valkyrie's face. She's like actually smiling. She's just like, I really have no idea who this person is, but I think I like him. And that's, I don't know, that's really sweet. I really loved that Valkyrie and Hulk were such good friends, apparently, or as much as you can be friends with anybody on, you know, Trash Planet Supreme. But they were really sweet together in that one, like, little scene, that one little snippet. And I, I don't know. That's one of my yeah. favorite things about yeah. this movie. Although Valkyrie in general is one of my favorite things about this movie. Yeah, and they also bring him to Loki. Yeah, because Valkyrie um, has beat Loki the hell up and taken him sort of like a peace offering for Thor. Which yeah, We actually yeah. saw, I think we skipped over it a little bit, but we saw that oh my God, yeah. scene where she fights Loki and Loki kind of pulls out her memory of oh Hela. My, oh my God, yes. Oh no. And I we see how Hela even. kills one of the, well, all the other Valkyries, but at least one who seems to have been important to this Valkyrie. Yeah, and I think I read an interview or read of an interview with Tessa Thompson in which she says that she was playing it like the Valkyrie that got murdered in front of her was her character's lover. So that's really tragic and horrible and I'm sad now. Anyways. I'm on board for that. For the I was gonna say, you may want to rethink that phrasing. I'm on board for lesbian Valkyries. Okay, Moving yes, on. that's much better. Okay, anyways. It is also really annoying to try to talk about Valkyries as a group while also talking about Valkyrie who doesn't have any other name. Yeah, and we're not we're not using Brutilda. That's, nah, doesn't work. Yeah, and then she just smacks Loki. Yeah, I love every, awesome. everyone throwing things at Loki to see if he's real or not. Yes, oh my god. That is such a great scene. Such a great gag, I mean. Oh, we get the little story about Loki stabbing yes. Thor. Oh my god. He was like, Meh, it's me. It's just... I, I love that Thor loves snakes. It's just such... I don't know. I know that was one of many stories that Taika just made up for Chris Hemsworth to try for this scene. Like, there were several different stories. Like, Taika was just feeding them to him. So I know that was just, like, something Taika made up. I sounds like kind of off the cuff. But, <laughs> you know, taken purely in text as a character moment for Thor... I don't know. I just think it's funny that he just, like, loves snakes and would just freaking pick one up and want to play with it. Like, you know, normal people would behave around a dog or a cat. Aw, 
there's a cute dog. Let me see if I can pet it. Thor just goes, aw, Snake, I want to be its best friend. Yeah. <laughs> God, and he is something else. Yeah, I think they really do an interesting job of establishing their relationship as brothers. Not yeah. establishing, but just fleshing out their relationship in that way. Yeah, because again, like we said, Dark World really does a lot of the groundwork laying for that, so to speak. Yeah, it's much less jarring, I think, if you've seen that movie rather than just going right from the Avengers to this. Yeah, so moral of the story, watch Dark World. It's not as bad as people say it is. Not by a long shot. Yeah. So then we have the forming of the Revengers. Oh my god, that was so funny. Because the Revengers are good. Because we're getting revenge. For me. <laughs> or whatever it was. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. know. Thor was very clearly making stuff up off the cuff. And Chris Hemsworth is very good at making it look like he's making stuff up as he goes. Yeah. So. We've said this before, but making Thor a funny character was the best decision this movie made. Oh my god. Or, this and, and this wasn't movie just... was like, this movie is just two and some hours of incredibly good decisions, though, so... Yeah. And to be fair, this isn't the first place that Thor became funny, but this was the first place that they really leaned into it for the yeah. entire movie. Yeah. And it works really well. Yeah, honestly, I feel like Chris Hemsworth has just been so underappreciated as a comedic actor until this movie. He had his funny moments in Cabin in the Woods, actually. Dude, him and Tessa Thompson in Men in Black is going <gasps> to be amazing. They're the perfect duo for that. I kept, I keep forgetting about that, and then they keep getting reminded of it, and it's glorious. I cannot wait for that. As far as I'm concerned, that movie is going to be Ragnarok fanfiction. That, yeah, and, honestly. And or a sequel, depending on how good it is. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, no, this Men in Black reboot is the only reboot that's allowed to actually exist. I have decided it. I have decreed it. It is is law. What happens next? They split up, don't they? Because they need to get their ships. Right. And Valkyrie, I think Valkyrie puts them on the trail of the Grandmaster's ship. Right, yeah. Loki knows where the ship is. Oh, So Valkyrie... He would know where the Grandmaster's party ship is. Yeah, so Uh Valkyrie, and I don't remember where Bruce goes at that point, but... Valkyrie goes to get her own ship. Oh, and, and they have that. They have to plan how they're going to escape. And of course, it's through. And this is a direct quote from the movie here The Devil's Anus, which is just. Okay, sure. Why not? This yeah. movie's which already they, ridiculous. They got that direction from Heimdall. I don't remember if we talked about Heimdall last week. Oh, I, maybe? No, I think we did. But I don't know if we talked about that one particular vision where Heimdall was like, you're on a planet surrounded by doors, go through one. Yeah. I think he said go through the big one or something, but... I I don't think he did. Yeah. I think Thor just, like, decided they were going to take the shortest and most dangerous route. Yeah, there's something... Because admittedly that would get them to Asgard the fastest. The route Valkyrie proposed was going to take him, like, a few weeks, and Thor was like, nope! There was actually a cool bit in that discussion where Bruce Banner is goes all sciencey. Oh yeah, and he does. Thor actually keeps up with him talking about the Einstein Rosen Bridge. Oh yeah. Which is a a cool callback to the first Thor movie. Yeah. And B actually I think interesting to show that Thor is not just dumb muscle. Oh my god, no, not at all. Even though like this movie <laughs> he is a bit of a doofus. Yeah, Grudish was an elective on Asgard. Yeah, so it's cool to see, like, Thor does sometimes know exactly what he's talking about. Oh, yeah. There are different kinds of smarts, of course. And I think Thor's doing pretty well on a few kinds of smarts, you know? Yeah. So, anyway, we go from there to Thor and Loki doing their two-man assault on getting a ship thing. (laughs) 
we're not doing get help. Is, do they start with get help or do they start? No, with they the... start with like the actually really heartfelt conversation. Yeah. I don't remember the order of all these things. I remember yeah. them having the guns and going crazy with the guns. Oh, right. I remember their heartfelt conversation. I remember get help. <laughs> Who would forget? Yeah. Get help, I think honestly. it's the guns first. I think you're right. Yeah. Those are fun. Those are really just great scene. Just having Thor and Loki with giant freaking laser guns. Oh, seriously. It was great. It's weird just because we're used to Thor having a hammer and Loki mm-hmm. having a scepter and having illusions and stuff. But no, we are in cosmic Marvel nonsense. Everyone has giant freaking laser guns. Yeah. We were kind of talking about this in the context of Thor's hammer as well. But it's really interesting that this sort of extended this necessity for more creativity to Loki as well. Hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, Loki has a few... I mean, he still has, like... Up his speed, yeah, but absolutely. But he's not nearly as powerful in a direct fight as Thor is. Yeah, exactly. And, like, the direct approach is going to be the fastest when it comes to getting to where they need to go. So yeah, they're yeah. broadening his arsenal in, I guess, more than one sense of the word. You can do far more interesting things with these characters when you don't necessarily limit them to their typical comic book like aesthetics, almost. And I think this movie showed that yeah, really well. Yeah, You're Like, capturing the essence of the character rather than the... Changing the tools in the toolbox. Yes, exactly. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, so we get that scene in the elevator, which I honestly don't remember. I don't remember too much of it, but I do remember Thor being really genuine with Loki. Like, no, I really did think the world of you when I was a kid. I was just like, aww. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, Loki has built up such a persecution complex in his head. I think yeah. it was thanks in large part to Odin being, you know, Odin. Yeah. So many problems with that guy. I'm sure there's some degree of Loki's idea of, oh, the world is always unfair to me that is actually not wrong. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like, there was totally animosity between the Asgardians and the Frost Giants. And if it had been revealed, say, in the first Thor movie to Asgard as a whole that Loki was actually part Frost Giant, then, yeah, I'm sure people would have not reacted super well. I'm not sure Odin would have been able to necessarily spin it so that people weren't mad about that. I think Loki was really the only person who could do that. And he did earlier in the movie, as established by the play. Yeah, because he was dead at the time, as far as they knew. Yeah. Yeah, and then they do get help. (laughs) So good. Which was a fun little gag. Yeah. Chevy's get help in Infinity War. Yeah, not as much to talk about there, except that it's cool to see that even when they were younger they had some degree of in jokes slash adventures yeah that's great and then that's about the time they get to the actual ship area right and yes he tries to pull a fast one on thor and thor pulls a fast one on loki which is that really was... great thor is not just a muscle i he love that because stuff yeah it's like in the comics loki is always going even even in the original myths loki's always going to betray people and people are always going to fall for it yeah and that even but, happened in the first Avengers movie with Thor running into the prison thing that had kept Loki and just running straight through Loki's like illusion or whatever. Yeah, it happens and in that Loki movie. It comment, happens like, in the first Thor movie. It happens sort of in Dark World when Loki fakes his death. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But this time Thor expects it and he's... I'm sure hoping that Loki yeah. doesn't betray him. Yeah, but I'm sure. He's not stupid about it. No. And he's like, oh, okay, zap. 
Yep, them's the breaks. And he oh, just man. leaves Loki there. Oh, uh, which seems a little cruel, but it would have been less cruel than what ended up happening to Loki, I feel like. Yeah, and then Thor and... Yeah, we got to the chase Bruce, scene, I guess. Right? Thor and Bruce end up in the ship, the Grandmaster's party ship. <laughs> which, you know, party ship. But, you know, this is a family-friendly podcast, so we'll just leave that up to the imagination. But there are fireworks involved. I don't want that in my imagination. That's fair. But yeah, there are fireworks involved. And honestly, that's the only important part, really. There are fireworks outside and party lights inside. And Okay, the chase chase starts with them just running for it because they don't have guns. Banner is piloting for some reason because Thor is probably not a very good pilot. And at (laughs) first it's like Valkyrie comes in with her ship and uses her guns to blow people up. But then her ship gets damaged and her and Thor just start physically jumping between enemy ships and just ripping them up. Yeah, see, Banner was definitely the best choice to pilot the actual ship in that case because Banner alone could not have done that jumpy thing. That was, I mean, the Hulk could have, but that's another story. Um, But that was awesome. Yeah, they get this whole freaking showdown. Friggin'. Yeah. It was uh, it was some it was cool it was, a, it was real cool. a real cool like twist on the chase scene and yeah then, like you get plenty of car chase scenes where there, I mean there was even one Black Panther when T'Challa was on like the hood of the car or whatever and did some like leaping from car to car or whatever oh yeah but I that don't I feel awesome. like you don't see that with like spaceships and stuff so that yeah. was a, that was a cool bit and eventually they get into the anus <laughs> yes they do and I guess they just yeah. Go okay. to Asgard, right? I mean, yeah, Thor and Valkyrie sort of jump into the ship and they land really close together and they definitely have like a moment of mutually checking the other person out, admiring their ship jumping and Super Marioing prowess, which that was that was cool. I mean, yeah. I would be into that. But I they think... didn't really act on that, which is good because it wasn't really the focus of the movie. Yeah, I think it was it's interesting in that movie that, you know, it's not like they aren't into each other at all but they also have much more important things to deal with yeah exactly i don't think either of them are really would be like oh we're in love now oh 100 you know it reminds me more than anything of okay so i read some meta somewhere where it was like someone and i i agree with this person said that they thought steve and natasha sort of find each other attractive in the same way. If they thought the other person would be down for something casual, then yeah, they might be casual partners or something like that. But that's not something that I guess really either of them would be into, but especially Steve, I don't think. So they just kind of acknowledge that the other person is, you know, objectively like attractive and just leave it be. And I see that same sort of, yeah, you're hot. This isn't going to go anywhere because we have other things to worry about, but you're hot. I see that same sort of thing with Thor and Valkyrie. That's interesting. Yeah. It's a really interesting interpretation of the whole Steve and Natasha relationship. And to be clear, I really do like them best as just really good friends. Yeah. But I I would definitely agree with that, you know, anonymous meta writing Tumblr person that there is some chemistry there. There are very good reasons that it's not acted upon, but it's there. So yeah, there's the best, yeah. I see that parallel, definitely. And so, okay, quick callback to another thing that I don't remember when we covered it, but 
Bruce also mentions that if he transforms back into the Hulk, he doesn't think he'd be able to transform back. Into Banner? Yeah. Which is so interesting that the Russos, like, reverse the hell out of that in Infinity War. Yeah. That like, part... that was not a plot twist I was expecting just based on what happened in Ragnarok. Yeah. It doesn't end up meaning much outside this movie. As yeah. you know if you've seen Infinity War. Yeah. Or if you've just listened to us talking about all the spoiler things for it. Yeah. Just in general, like, the Hulk's relationship with Bruce is so much more complicated than just, oh, here's my uncontrollable, angry, alter ego, whatever. It's yeah. so much it's more really, interesting than it that. It is. It is. Yeah, at this point, we basically get to the climactic sequence on Asgard, right? Right, yes. And at that point... Okay, we should call back to the bits that have been happening on Asgard for this bit also. Right. What have we not covered? I think we've... Okay, so... I think the only one we haven't covered is the bit where Scourge almost has to be the executioner, right? Yeah, Scourge is about to kill some woman, and he's very clearly unwilling to do it, but he might have actually done it, but one of the Asgardians that they had captured confesses at that point and points them towards Heimdall's hideout. Yeah. Uh, And Heimdall, being Heimdall, sees them coming and kind of leads them out of the place. Yeah, and like he definitely had a decent head start on them. Because again, there were a lot of people in that little secret hall or whatever, and he somehow managed to get them all out and the hall was just completely empty by the time that Hela and Scourge got to the secret cave. Yeah, and shortly after that is when the Revengers arrive. That's still such a hilarious team name. Yeah, and Valkyrie and Bruce, I guess, are in the ship and try to cover the civilians as they leave. Something like that. Yeah, they're definitely trying to, like, shoot the Army of the Dead or whatever. Oh, and then the dog comes into play, too. The dog comes into play, too. Which is when Bruce decides, okay, screw this, I'm bringing the Hulk back. But before that, like... Right, Thor right. goes to confront Hela in the throne room. Right, yeah. And they have their... Has that crack about interior decorating. Yeah, they have their fight. Hela reveals some stuff about Odin. I don't remember exactly how their conversation goes. Yeah, me neither. I think, I think she it's... says the same sort of thing about Odin, like, erasing their true history or whatever. Because that's she seems to be really fixated on that. Yeah. Feeling slighted or whatever. Thor talks a little bit about acknowledging that Odin was seriously flawed and made mistakes and stuff does he i don't quite i don't remember. i don't remember i don't, I don't think it's like an in-depth discussion but i remember there being some degree of like yeah odin screwed up but i don't think it was a major focus there yeah i think they were just mainly focusing on like their little sibling tussle yeah and then they start fighting while the rest of the revengers yeah valkyrie and bruce are defending the as guardians from the zombie army, along with Heimdall, who yeah. is also helping out. And can we like talk about how the rest of the Asgardians are ready to throw hands too? Like somebody, some random civilian just straight up draws a sword at one point. It's like, okay, come on. Yeah, I mean, there probably wouldn't have all been random civilians because the Asgardians would have had soldiers and peacekeeping forces of some kind. I feel like the person who actually drew the sword was a gal in like a really flowy Asgardian civilian dress or whatever, though. I feel like that Maybe. was the first person who drew a blade which was awesome like i remember specifically noticing that i think yeah guardians were ready to throw down too they were like okay guess it's coming to this and then and oh my god and then valkyrie Bruce... hang valkyrie has her valkyrie armor back on oh my god yeah earlier, skipped over thor, that yeah earlier thor was like oh yeah i found this by the way and yeah she gets that on she and... gets an awesome little suit up sequence 
Yeah, and it's it's great, and she, she looks gets... really great in that armor. And I may or may not be slightly fangirling right now. Yep, and then she gets on a big old gun in a very suggestive manner. Oh God, yes. And they start blowing up zombies. Dog yeah. shows up. The dog is about <laughs> to just leap on the Asgardians, and Bruce throws himself off the ship. Just like completely dramatically flops off to off the ship and just lands. As Bruce on the Bifrost. Yeah. And they're just like, what the heck is this like random corpse doing or whatever? Because they probably think he's dead. Yeah, and it's then... interesting that it shows that Bruce is also, I guess, more durable than a normal person. Because that oh, fall would yeah. kill a normal person. Yeah. It doesn't kill Bruce, but he doesn't turn into the Hulk immediately either. Nah. So it's like there's yeah, some suppose... sort of vulnerability, invulnerability thing going on. Yeah, and it also, I think, shows that, once again, Bruce has less control of the Hulk than I guess he previously thought he did, because even his attempts to draw out the Hulk in ways that he knows have worked before, because he knows a fall has worked before because Natasha tossed him into the pit or whatever. Yeah, and the same thing... That doesn't work Actually, the same thing happened in the very first Incredible Hulk movie, where he fell through the freaking street. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah, so maybe that's not a new thing. Yeah. But, yeah, then the Hulk grabs the dog, and the Hulk and the dog start fighting in the ocean. Yeah. And it's... Also, also I'll just shout out to the fact that we have an extended sequence of the Hulk transforming back into Bruce, but we don't actually see Bruce transform into the Hulk directly. That's, yeah, it's really interesting. That happens, like, off-camera. Admittedly, mostly yeah. for the sake of a visual gag, but it... Yeah, mostly for the drama. It's also interesting that we don't see the Bruce-to-Hulk transformation at all. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh my god, we forgot about a thing, though. Back on Sakaar, it must have been Thor who was the one to tell Korg that they needed revolution or something like that. And Korg was like, yes, revolution, I will gladly lead this charge or whatever. And Loki gets off Sakaar with Korg and the others who go to Asgard to yes, was, mess some people yeah, up. We're going to double back to that, but yeah, Loki's all like, I see you need a fearless leader. And Korg's like, okay. Oh my god, Korg. He's great. But yeah, no, that's yeah. how Loki gets on board. And Loki is actually full-on fighting with the Revengers, which is great. Yeah, Loki's on their side. This is, I think, after I'll admit, Bifrost I, gets oh, destroyed yeah. or whatever. When they're at some point surrounded on the bridge. Yeah, and I'll admit, I have not been any sort of real Tom Hiddleston fangirl since, like, 2012. But that moment when he, like, flipped his helmet and caught it, that was kind of hot. I won't lie. That was yeah. cool. Anyways. That entire fight sequence... the. Everything that happens on Asgard, all the fighting is just amazing. Yeah, and then, okay, can we talk about the moment when Valkyrie is, like, walking in slow-mo down the Bifrost with fireworks from the Grandmaster ship exploding behind her? That was... If this movie was a comic book, that would be a two-page spread. God, 100%. Oh, that would be amazing. This entire comic book would be composed of two-page spreads. Honestly, yeah, that would make a lot of sense, I think. For the most part, I think, with little one-panel bubbles yeah. sprinkled so in there. The fight so, or some interesting, like, comic book cinematography. Like, J.H. Williams, I think, would do this really well. He was really good on Batwoman. So the fight starts to turn against them a little bit. As it must, you know, narrative structure. Thor is still fighting Hela, and Hela freaking stabs out his eye. Oh my god, yeah. Woo! And, you know, he has... Now he has an injury mirroring Odin's. That is true. Which, which is yeah. deliberately why Hela gave it, I think. Yeah, actually, she that's so right. That, I think. Oh, right, yeah. 
and she's like choking Thor and he's passing out and seeing Odin and he has this like little flashback a bit where he talks to Odin and he's all like but without my hammer and Odin's like are you Thor god of hammers? (laughs) (laughs) Which is actually it's insightful. It really genuinely is. It's almost sort of in a sense, defending the choice to destroy Thor's hammer so early on. Because I can see where people might have been like, oh my god, they destroyed the hammer. That's so crucial to his character. How is he going to get the hammer back when that's not the point? That's never been the point. Thor is not indeed the god of hammers. And that's interesting because in the comics, whenever Mjolnir is destroyed or taken away from Thor, it doesn't always make him powerless, but it is a significant hindrance to him most of the time. And it's pretty much always done with the understanding that he'll eventually get it back. Because comic books. Yeah, because comic books are unwilling to significantly have like change significant permanent status quo changes like that. Yeah. But that's Which I think her. that's a strength of the cinematic universe. Sort of a an affordance of yeah, they this don't, particular form of storytelling over comic books. They don't have to be beholden to the status quo in the same way that comic books don't necessarily have to be in comics but either. Become, but become... It's sort of become a self-fulfilling prophecy, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Like, a very ouroboros just eating its own tail over and over again, just circling back in on itself. Yeah, but anyway. Um, that's yeah. interesting that I do that, and then Thor gets the lightning back. Oh, and then, so good. And then the music starts. Yes, Immigrant Song, oh my god. Oh, it's so good. That whole fight scene is just so badass. I want to do this. I want to do the scream that that movie starts with, but I will not. It's iconic. It it's so incredible. is. It's it perfect. Is just, I love it. It is just a perfect shot, honestly. Just Thor borne down to the Bifrost by lightning, smiting the army of the dead. Oh, it's just so well lit and just framed so beautifully, and the soundtrack's perfect, and... Oh my god. Yeah. So he got a lot of punchy punchy for a while. And a lot of lightning punchy. Zappy zappy punchy punchy. <laughs> depending on who you're asking. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the Revengers all kind of assemble. They reassemble. Yes. <laughs> Anyways. Thor has the realization of that to stop Hela, they basically would have to destroy Asgard. Because she draws her power from Asgard and there's no way to actually stop that. Aside from Unless just you know, destroying the source of her power. Yeah. And he sends Loki to destroy Asgard. Yeah. Which is a fitting callback to various comic stories where he attempts the same thing. But this time, it's uh, as a good guy. Yeah, and it's on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, it's real interesting. And Loki gets down there, and he sees the Tesseract. And as we find out later, he does indeed steal the Tesseract. Which causes problems later on, but that's... Yeah. So many problems. That's another uh, movie episode. And he takes the skull of Surtur and sticks it in the eternal flame. And Surtur goes, Foom! And he's freaking huge. Oh my god, he's so giant. And Hela tries to stop him and Surtur... Sur- and so does Hulk, actually. That was funny. Oh my god. Hulk like, is like, Hulk, oh, no! <laughs> for once in your life, do not smash! <laughs> I, love the, I love how Hulk sees this enormous flaming like honestly Surtur looks more like a minotaur than anything he the Hulk sees this enormous flaming minotaur and is like I'm gonna fight it like you gotta admire the guy's pluck and then we do get that iconic shot of Hulk jumping into oh my god yes that was in the trailers oh god yes 
so good. So, you know, hope springs eternal, honestly. Hulk springs eternal. Yes, actually. And, okay, I think before Hela goes after Surtur, um, there's that bit where everyone's getting onto the, the ship. ship that Korg brought, yes. Yeah, and there's zombies coming up after it, and then Scourge yes. sees it, and he's all like, no, I'm going to stop him, and he goes with his guns. And... Which, how the hell did he manage to smuggle his guns aboard the ship? Were they just hiding beneath that giant cloak he had? Well, yeah. Man, whatever. Anyway, he just like gets to go to town with the guns from Texas. Yeah, that's apparently a callback directly to a different scene from the comics where Scourge does a similar last stand thing with two assault rifles. I don't remember what the comics are like and what Scourge is like in the comics, but yeah, I honestly, saw, like, I didn't even recognize Carl Urban in that role. I didn't realize it was him until like a good long while after I saw the movie. I was like, that's Carl Urban. Yeah, and from there... Okay, and yeah. while Surtur is destroying Asgard, by the way, you know who he reminds me of? Who? Giant Man. Actually, I can see that a little bit. Like, Giant Man just going, ho, 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 as he goes big, and Surtur is the same way, just, yes, I am huge, I shall smash the puny buildings with great Except abandon. Except both of them move pretty slowly. They're yeah. both just like, yeah. smash, and it just like takes them that long to actually destroy anything. Yeah, but they also both just love being huge so much. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Oh man, Goliath is going to be so good in Ant-Man and the Lost. But yes, anyway. Yeah, and then Hela goes to try to stop Surtur, and Surtur is like, nope, and smashes Nope, that's her. not how this works. And we see Hela apparently die... Probably die. Yeah. You know, I also uh, don't. Yeah. I don't see any real capacity for her to be coming back for yeah. any particular. Which reason. is a shame because I feel like she may have actually been able to defeat Thanos. That would be a mashup that that I would like to see them try to. I don't think because you know even Thanos think, can only defend against so many of her infinite knives. Really. I think Hela versus Thanos, if it happens on Asgard, and he only has maybe one of the power stones, would be a solid matchup. I mean, if it happens anywhere but Asgard, Thanos wins. Maybe. So it depends, I guess, on why Thanos would be going to Asgard anyway. Well, if he had thought the Tesseract was still on Asgard, he might have tried to go there. Yeah. Which, it would have been interesting, but that's not what happened. Hela's dead. Yeah. She's, she's hella dead. Goddess of the dead is dead. You know, fitting in a way. Yeah, very. And everyone makes their happy little escape, besides Scourge, who is dead. But he died heroically. He did. He's great. Sorry, he, Scourge. He redeemed himself, for sure. Good job, Scourge. Yeah, so I then they just fly away. And people who are far more qualified to undertake this sort of analysis than I am have talked about how the Asgardians' journey in this movie is one from a colonialist people whose empire was built on exploitation and conquest of other planets to being a sort of nation of refugees almost in search of the new home like sort of nomads in a sense that is exactly what they are but like talking about that in the context of post-colonialism and that yeah, is well, interesting yeah there's totally something going on in this movie oh no absolutely and Tiger knew what he was doing um, Tiger always knows what he's doing oh yeah absolutely so yeah no that's just the image that really sticks with me about this movie the final shot of everybody facing space together just looking out this big 
front window. It's nice. Yeah. It's a nice moment while it lasts until Thanos has to ruin it. Anyway, I may or may there's not want to few... throw hands with Thanos himself. There's I a few more good bits, I think. Yeah, the... there's that bit where Thor is inspecting well, there's his new Korg, eye patch. There's Korg and Meek. Yes, Meek, yes. Whatever. He thought he Meek's... killed Meek, but then Meek came back to life. He was like, oh, hey, he's not dead. And Korg is all like, you know, we can still fix it. And then it blows up. And he's like, oh. Oh, God, yeah. yeah he says something about, oh, the foundations are good. And he's like, and then Asgard just blows up. And he's like, okay, no, it's destroyed. We're destroyed. And yeah, no, and then there's that, I was going to say, there's that scene in Thor's Chamber or whatever. or whatever. Yeah, when Thor's looking at his new eye patch and Loki like comes in patch, to talk to him or whatever. Know? Yeah, I liked it too. It looked really good on him. I'm honestly um, not a huge fan of Infinity War on doing the eye patch, but. Yeah, me neither. I can understand. I can understand why it was a strategically sound decision in the movie it makes yeah it made sense from that perspective yeah but a patch like that would probably have to be like glued on you'd have to do a bunch of makeup stuff for it which doesn't yeah. make that big a deal but yeah that aside i can imagine that being uncomfortable though no and thor and loki have that really nice scene in i don't remember what they say really but all i remember is isn't there like a thing where thor is like oh i wish you were actually like in the room here and he throws something at loki and loki catches it and they're like yep i'm here and it's really nice. That is that is nice. It's nice. And then it's... Thanos ruins it. Sorry. I'm still mad. And then And that's a that's a nice it's a nice little reconciliation scene there. Yeah. With totally. Loki actually being back. Yeah. And we get a couple of post credit scenes. Yeah. The first post credit scene is the one where Thor and Loki are like, so what do we do now? And then the big shadow of the ship comes up on them. Yep. Right? And we know how that one turns out. And then the second one is the Grandmaster. Grandmaster lands on Sakaar again. I, I love how dumb this scene is. Oh my god. He's just like, alright guys, great revolution, I contributed. And let's, just, call, let's call it a draw. Yeah, he just talks for a solid minute. Just Yeah. I, I like to imagine that was just Jeff Goldblum ad-libbing. I was gonna say, I really hope a lot of that was improv. He just goes on about it and he's like, and it's a tie. Yeah. It was so great. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that pretty much covers, like, what we liked about the movie. Yeah, that's like the that. whole movie. Yeah. That's our Ragna talk. Yep. Great flashback to, you know, the very origins of this podcast. So, yeah. Yeah. Good talk. Good talk. Yeah. Do we want to cap this off with anything? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't, I, think I can't the, really think of anything to cap it yeah. off with unless you have any ideas. The post-colonialist stuff is yeah. interesting. Unfortunately, That's one I'm themes. not nearly as up on post-colonial theory as I should be. That is definitely an area I need to read about more. But like I said, like people more qualified than I have um, talked about this, and I've read what they said, and it's good yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, Overall, you know, awesome movie. I love so good. I love the setup it does. I love the new characters. I love the new things with old characters. I love Valkyrie. Valkyrie's so great. Much. We know. <laughs> anyway and yeah you know it's a cool lead into infinity war and, i mean i okay. wouldn't necessarily call it cool it's infinity war is not cool about it at all yeah infinity war definitely just wholesale pulls the rug out from under everything about this movie or everything about the ending rather yeah. ragnarok which is, is like tragic. yeah we're cool we're cool and then infinity yeah. war just comes barreling in not cool Oh my god, I'm still so messed up about it. You know, I think we'll see, get some fallout, but I think Valkyrie's gonna come back eventually. Oh, she'd better. 
I don't know how or when, which is interesting to me, but she's going to come back. She had better. That's all I got to say. All right. Yeah. So, I think that's all we've got. Yeah, I think so. Thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah, see you guys next week. That's it for this episode of Yelling About Superheroes. For more yelling, you can follow us on Twitter at yellinabtsupers, or check out our website at anchor.fm slash yelling-about-superheroes. You can also visit Whitney's blog at whitneythompson.wordpress.com, where we post our reading lists for each episode. We're now on iTunes, which is exciting, so if you're an iTunes listener, don't forget to subscribe there, and please rate the show and leave us a review. It'll help us in store rankings, and we always love feedback. We're also on Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Our theme music was composed by Rodrigo Vicente. You can listen to more of his work at hooksounds.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.